Well, hey friends, thanks for joining us today yet again. I'm really excited because we are kicking off a new series called Our House. And the thing that excites me about this series is that we're gonna give you a snapshot of our church. Uh, we're gonna talk about why we do the things that we do, as well as the values that we have and why we have them. So I'm, I'm glad you're along for the journey. And to get started, I just wanna ask you a question. How many of you enjoy the Marvel movies? Yeah, I mean, me too. But, you know, one of the things that, that Marvel is really good at is telling a character's origin story. I mean, many of the most popular Marvel movies like Iron Man and Captain America, the first Avenger and Thor, these are origin stories. Uh, origin stories uh, movies are popular because they help us connect with the characters on a personal level. We see how they got their powers, we see how they faced their challenges, and we see how they became the heroes that we know and love. Origin stories are the stories that tell us about how we got to where we are today, and they're the stories of our beginnings. They help us to understand where we are and why we're here. They, they connect us to the past, they help us understand our present, and they give us kind of a hope and an inspiration for you know, what lies ahead. And just like every person has an origin story, companies have an origin story. I mean, every company has one. Some are legendary, like Apple being started by a couple of young college dropouts in a garage. Some other company stories are infamous, like Facebook being started when Mark Zuckerberg allegedly, let's say, stole an idea from some classmates who hired him to create a social platform at Harvard. But not only do people and companies have an origin story, the Bible is full of origin stories. The story of creation, the story of Adam and Eve, the story of Abraham and Sarah, the story of Moses and the Israelites, the story of Jesus. These are all origin stories that help us understand our place in the world and our relationship with God. But origin stories are not just found in the Bible or with people or with companies. They are also found in churches. I don't know if you think much about this, but every church has an origin story, and every one of those stories is important. The reason it's important is because everyone associated with the church can understand its origin story because it helps them begin to understand why that church does what they do. It helps you connect with that church's mission, their values, and it gives us hope and inspiration for the future. So today, I just want to take you through a journey, all right, a little bit of a journey through the origin story of Next Level Church. I want to tell you the story of how we got to where we are today, and I want to show you the impact we have in the world, and then I kind of want to give you some inspiration for the future. I believe that by understanding our origin story as a church, we will all better understand our place in the world and our role that Jesus has called us into making this place better. So back in the early 2000s, a pastor by the name of Dan Sutherland, he moved from moved to Charlotte from South Florida. And at the time, he was coaching other churches and other pastors to become what's called a purpose-driven church. Some of you may remember that. And the reason for a purpose-driven church is to help more people uh, be reached that don't attend the church. And what he was quickly learning is there were a lot of churches that simply do not want to be a church focused on reaching people far from God. Now, let me just say, that's not because they're bad people. It's not because it's a bad church. It's just not a value for them to make the changes necessary to reach non-church people. Now, at the same time, he befriended a pastor of a large church here in Charlotte. If you're not from Charlotte, a very large church 
called Calvary Church. And so they started spending some time around a fire pit at Dan's house where they would talk about things, you know, faith and church ministry. And over time, they invited other church leaders to join them, and the stories started to have a theme. All of these men seemed to have a heart for people who were, let's just say, far away from God. And I'll spare you all of the details. If You could get those for me if you want to go out and grab a coffee sometime. But they felt that God was calling them to launch a church for people who had given up on church, people who had been hurt by the church or never been to a church, and for Christians who had the same kind of heart to reach those kinds of people that we just mentioned. So in 2006, they launched Next Level Church with a mission to reach what they said is the screwed and the screwed up. Well, over time, that mission statement has been modified to what we have today where we say we exist to raise the reputation of Jesus where we live, work, and play. Raise the reputation of Jesus where we live, work, and play. And over the last 17 years, this church has done some amazing things like doing complete home makeovers for three different families, sponsoring 350 kids living in extreme poverty in the Dominican Republic, giving backpacks to every underprivileged child in a local school, giving a new pair of shoes to every underprivileged child in another local school, partnering with Hope Match to provide a complete Christmas for over 1,000 different families. We have built tables and desks for the working poor in our community, and we've provided nearly a half million dollars. Think about that. Half million dollars in free labor to repair the cars of single moms in our community. And we've helped start 10 new churches that have a similar focus on reaching people far from God. Now, believe me, this is an abbreviated list of what your church has done to raise the reputation of Jesus where we live, work, and play. And because of all of that, thousands of people have found their way back to God and many, many, many Hundreds of people have been baptized here at Next Level in the faith of Jesus. We've seen atheists find God. We've seen people that come from other world religions begin to follow Jesus. We've seen skeptics and doubters become believers. We've seen our unbelieving friends and family get baptized. We've seen the broken healed, and we've seen the addicted set free. And many of you have played an active role in all of that by inviting and giving and serving here in our church. Now, while all these great things were happening, the world around us was rapidly changing. The rise of YouTube and podcasting in the 2010s brought about a lot of incredible stuff. I, I love what it has done. But in addition to those things, it also brought a new level of religious skepticism. And while it started out as skepticism, kind of all world religions, it seems to have found a home in a deep skepticism of Christianity. And I think there's some reasons why, because at the same time, there have been a number of churches make the news with scandals, right? There have been valid stories of spiritual abuse. There have been stories of narcissism running rampant inside of church leadership. There have been financial scandals, as well as the normal, I hate to say normal, sex scandals, all right? This only added fuel to an ever-growing fire. And with all of that, several brilliant and funny skeptics have found an audience with the very same people God has called us to reach. They have given a voice to the people who have been hurt by church or disillusioned by church or who have given up on church altogether. In all of this, 
has given rise to a group of people that Pastor Jim White, who is the pastor at Mecklenburg Church just on the other side of town, given rise to a group of people he calls the nuns. All right, and not, not like Catholic nuns. The nuns is simply a term given to people who are the religiously unaffiliated. The religi- religiously unaffiliated. And currently, as of 2022, according to Pew Research, and, and they've been tracking these statistics for decades, the percentage of Americans that identify as nuns is now at 29%. That means nearly one in three of the people that you meet would not have any religious affiliation at all. And while that number is shocking, what for me is even more shocking is that in 2007, just 15 years ago, that number was only 16%. That 13% increase in just 15 years is alarming because it represents literally tens of millions of people. And on top of that, the number that I care about deeply because my kids are in this age group and so are many of your kids or your grandkids, 37% of Americans under 40 have no religious affiliation. And the vast majority of that 37% grew up in a church. Now, it's tempting to think that those numbers are common uh, or coming from people leaving the mainline denominations, right? Oh, they're leaving the Catholic church. They're leaving this you know, big church. And that's what a lot of pastors in my circles, that's what they believe and that's what they talk about. But Pew Research has determined that 31% of evangelicals leave the church between the ages of 15 and 29. And that number is steadily increasing, and it's a growing number of young men and women who are now beginning to do what they call deconstruct their faith. And when asked, over 60% of evangelicals under the age of 35 said that they have serious questions about their faith, but do not think that their church is a safe place to ask those questions. I want you to think about that. 60% don't think their church is safe to ask questions. And when that 31% of evangelicals who left the church were asked why they left, as you could imagine, they gave a bunch of different answers. But most of their answers could be boiled down to this simple statement. They just don't believe anymore. They just don't believe anymore. Now, I want to pause right here for a moment because I've given you a bunch of facts and figures, but for some of you, These aren't just facts. These aren't just statistics for you. This is the story of your children. This is the story of your grandchildren. This is the story of your sister, your brother-in-law. This is the story of your best friend from college. You know the one that was on fire for God way back then? This is the story of your neighbor. This is the story of the mom you talk to at school events. This is the story, for some of you, this is the story of someone close to you. And if you have someone close to you probably had this thought, well, I just don't get it. I don't understand why they left the church because they heard all the same things I heard. They sang the same songs that that I sang. Maybe they read the same books. How is it that my faith is strong and they have walked away from their faith? So some of you I know are right in the middle of this. Right now, you're in the middle of this with your kids or someone close to you, and it is killing you to watch them walk away from what you know brings life and freedom and purpose and peace. And if so, just know, I completely understand how you feel. But all of this has reinforced in me a commitment to our mission as a church to raise the reputation of Jesus where we live, 
work, and play. I want to show everyone around me that Jesus and his church are not just a dead ritual. Following Jesus is not some religious burden that needs to be shed because I don't know why, I really don't know why anyone would not at least want Christianity to be true. Even if you don't believe what we say, you should at least want what we say to be true, to actually be true, that God has invited you to call him father, and he's removed every obstacle between you and him to make that possible. I mean, at least, wouldn't you want that to be true? And even though that might be hard to believe, I just don't know why people don't want to believe. After all, Jesus' own reputation while he was on earth was that he was on the side of the lost and the disenfranchised. Uh, Look what was recorded in Luke chapter 7, verse 34. It says that the Son of Man, on the other hand, feasts and drinks, and you say he is a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. If, If there was a group of people that the temple had neglected or turned away, Jesus was right there right there amongst those people. There's a great illustration of this. If we go a little further in Luke, Luke chapter 19, Jesus encounters a chief tax collector by the name of Zacchaeus. And the main thing you need to know about this is that among all the categories of hated people, prostitutes, murderers, gamblers, thieves, adulterers, drunkards, of all those categories, the tax collector was hated more than any of them. These people were not welcome as friends. They weren't even allowed to go to the temple, worship their God, and have their sins forgiven. They had been cast out and rejected by their church. So one day, Zacchaeus hears that Jesus is coming to town, and he wants to see him. And since he was, as we're told in the verses, a very short little man, maybe like me, I don't know, he had to climb a tree to see over the people. So while he's in a tree, let's pick up in verse 5. Verse 5, it says, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up And said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Now, I imagine Zacchaeus had no, like zero expectation that Jesus would even talk to him, much less want to come by his house. He had probably never had a religious leader come by his house to have a meal or to even talk. So he climbs down out of the tree and he begins to walk with Jesus to his house. So I want you to look at what the religious people around begin to say as Jesus is walking with Zacchaeus. Verse seven says, all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Now, I want you to notice something here. All these religious people are gathered around Jesus. They were probably amazed by his miracles. They were probably mesmerized by his teachings. Yet when it came down to it, they couldn't even rejoice that Zacchaeus was being welcomed in by this same Jesus. They couldn't even hope for a moment that Zacchaeus would be changed by being with Jesus. Why? Because they were too busy judging him. So the story goes on. Verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay them back four times the amount. So in this brief interaction where Jesus chose to step out and do something that no one else was willing to do, go to his house, Zacchaeus promises to take drastic measures 
right? To right the wrongs that he had done. This probably would have depleted much, if not all, of his wealth. It, it might have well left him with nothing when he was done. But he didn't care about any of that because he was changed because Jesus did something no one else would do. And then Jesus makes this statement, verse 9. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. God incarnate sees Zacchaeus as a son of Abraham, as his child. And where Zacchaeus was used to being ignored, hated, overlooked, Jesus invites himself into his life and offers him something that no other religious person had done to date. He offers him forgiveness and salvation. The effects of this single act are dramatic. And in the final moments of the story, Jesus doesn't have to give Zacchaeus a long lecture on his sins. One true encounter with the Son of God in Zacchaeus' heart is changed. He's willing, freely, even joyfully, he declares that he's going to make things right with other people. And it starts when Jesus does something that others were not willing to do, to hang out with the, quote, sinner the one who had walked away from the church, or more accurately, the church had walked away from him. And here's the thing. I love, love this generation of 20 and 30-somethings. I love the generation of high school and college students who have left the church. And I want them back. I want them back. It kills me that they're gone. So I have dedicated 25 years of my life to creating churches that reach people far from God. And over the last seven or eight years, I have doubled down on creating a church where questions are not just welcome, but they're normal. As a church, we have doubled down on being a place that models what being a person of faith and living authentically looks like. We're a church that's even more committed to making sure that our preaching and teaching here on the stage is relevant to the people that are not just in this church, but that are around us. And we're even more committed to creating a culture of welcome. We're committed to showing people how to pray and how they can hear the voice of God for themselves. We are doubling down on investing in the needs of the community around us as we raise the reputation of Jesus where we live, work, and play. So if that means that we have to do some things that others are unwilling to do to reach people that others are not reaching, well, that's what we're gonna do because that is what we have always done. And to the people who share the same passion that Jesus does to seek and to save those are lost. This is what he says to you, okay? I don't want you to miss this. The context of this statement that he says, and you've probably heard it before, is he's given this commission to his disciples to go into the world and reach people with his message that their relationship with God is now restored. So to those people, very specific, on mission with him, he says this in Matthew 28, 20, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And you know who the you is that he's talking about? The you in that statement is people who are on mission with him to seek and to save those that are lost. And 17 years ago, we set out on a mission to partner with Jesus to reach people that no one else was reaching with the message that God's not mad at them. He's not upset with them. 
that he has given them the right to be and act like a child of his. And you guys have been so faithful to create on-ramps for skeptics and places of connection for doubters, safe places for people who have questions. And together, we have become a place of hope for people who are hurting from a bad church experience or a bad life experience. Together, we have become a safe place to think and process even the most difficult questions of faith. Together, we have become a place that cares deeply about the next generation's faith. But not only have we cared, many of you have stepped into that space, played an active role in helping us build a faith foundation by becoming a small group leader in our student ministry or a worker in our kids' programs. And for those of you who have been with us for years, and you, maybe you've been with us from the beginning, you have stood with us through change. Some of the changes worked, and admittedly, some of them did not. You have put up with me, right? And, and you have gave, and you have served. I just want to say thank you for all who have stayed with us as we built this thing that God put in place 17 years ago. And for those of you who are new to Next Level, I want you to know we need you, right? Because we have important work to do, and it will take all of us and more to accomplish what God has set before us. And to everyone here, I want you to know, now more than ever, we, uh, what we're doing here is so important because of the rapid changes in our world. We should not be afraid of what we might lose. We should be more afraid of what we are losing. As a church, not just us, the church at large, we are losing a generation, and we as a church are not going to sit by and do what everybody else is doing. We're probably not going to do what we've always done either because faith, the faith of the next generation is way more important than that. The faith of your sister, the faith of your brother-in-law is way more important than that. The faith of your children or your grandchildren is way more important than that. The faith of your best friend is more important than that. The faith of your coworker or neighbor is more important than that. The faith of the other kids that you go to school with is more important than that. So as we think about our past and what God has done in our church and we turn our sights to the future of what is ahead, let me just wrap up by asking you a very, very important question. What is the faith of the next generation worth? What is the faith in the next generation worth? Uh, that question as I thought about it, it makes me think of this famous scene near the end of the movie Schindler's List where Oscar Schindler, he's departing his factory at the end of World War II where he saved more than a thousand Jews, right? And, and if you remember, this is the scene that I'm talking about. And in that scene, he's crying over his inability to save even more lives. He keeps looking at all the things that he had spent his time and spent his money on, and he's lamenting that he didn't spend it on saving more people. And he keeps repeating these words, I could have done more. I could have done more. And he begins to count out how many more people he could have saved had he done more. If you haven't seen this movie, if you haven't seen this clip, uh, we put the link to it down in the comments because it is one of the most powerful scenes of any movie made in my lifetime. And if you have seen it, you know the emotion that it brings. That is that emotion 
that rises up in me when I think about the 37% and rising number of people under 40 who are walking away from faith. I think I could have done more. I could have done more. We can do much, much more. So let me ask you the question again. What's the faith of the next generation worth? If you're like me, and I hope you are, you would say it's worth everything. It's worth everything that we can possibly do and then some, every single thing. And what our church has done to this point, I admit is truly amazing, but we can't sit back and relax. The next generation is facing unprecedented challenges. They are growing up in a world that is increasingly hostile to faith. They are bombarded with messages that tell them they don't need God, that religion is outdated, and that faith is for the weak. But we know the truth is the exact opposite. We know that faith gives us hope, purpose, and meaning. That's why we need to do everything we can to reach the next generation with the gospel. We need to continue to be a church where people feel loved, accepted, and challenged. We need to continue to teach the Bible in a way that is relevant to their lives. And we need to show them how to live out their faith in a world that is increasingly hostile to it. It's not gonna be easy, but I believe that it's worth it. The faith of the next generation is worth everything. And if you're not already, already with us, I wanna invite you to join us in doing what others are unwilling to do to reach the types of people that you rub shoulders with each and every day. Hey, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thanks for the opportunity to gather today in a place that you set up and designed 17 years ago. Thank you for letting us play a part in the thousands of lives that your church has touched. And now, as we look ahead to the future, I pray that you keep us focused on the mission you gave us when you came to earth. Keep us focused on reaching people that no one else wants to reach. God, thanks for the vision to be a place that creates own ramps for skeptics, that places of connection for doubters and safe places who have questions. We know that there's an entire generation out there we're searching for truth and meaning, but they're also hesitant to come to a church because they feel judged or misunderstood. Help us to continue to be a place where people come to explore their faith and ask questions without fear of judgment. Help us to continue to be a place where people can connect with others who are on the same journey. Help us to continue to be a place where people can experience your love and your grace. We know that we can't do it on our own. God, we need your help. So we ask you to guide us and give us wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. So hey, friends, thanks for joining us again today. If you think today's message uh, might be valuable, maybe it might explain your church a little bit, uh, we would love it if you'd share this video. Not only could it be helpful in explaining who we are and what we're doing, and maybe it's just helpful in general, when you share and like and subscribe to this content, you help us accomplish our mission to raise the reputation of Jesus. And along those lines, uh, I would love for you to head over to our website, 
go to nextlevelchurch.org, click the green give button and choose one of the giving options. I believe in what we're doing to reach the next generation and it's worth everything that you could give toward. Your faithful support helps us to do that and to raise the reputation of Jesus where we live, work, and play. Now, by way of benediction, let me reread to you Jesus' words from that great commission in Matthew 28, 20. He says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. As you go on mission with him, may he guide you and empower you to live out your faith. And may you know that his mission is worth everything. Hey guys, have a blessed week and I'll see you back in person next week.